Episode 41 Ancient Warriors and PTSD I have borrowed this title from an article written by Wayne Shipp, who posted it on the Australian Army Research Centre website. I thought I would read what is written interspersed with other information I have gathered. But please understand that the views expressed in this article are those of the author and do not necessarily reflect the official position of the Australian Army, the Department of Defence or the Australian Government. Also, another disclaimer. Anyone looking for the presence of a modern psychological disorder in the ancient world must tread the path carefully. After all, there are around 2,000 years worth of differences in culture and medicine separating the traumatised Vietnam veteran from the traumatised Roman legionary. We should be very careful to make any rash claims about PTSD in ancient warriors. Post-traumatic stress disorder was only formally defined as a psychological disorder in the 1970s. For a medical professional, it is neither ethical nor justifiable to retroactively diagnose people who can no longer be interviewed in person. Therefore, from a purely professional perspective, PTSD didn't exist before the 1970s. The symptoms are easily identifiable in the record of the wars of the earlier 20th century and beyond. Scholars have even tried to find sample cases in ancient Assyria and classical Greece. However, we cannot simply declare that these people suffered from PTSD. We do not know enough and will never know enough to make the diagnosis. One way around this has been to establish the observable neurological changes that cause PTSD symptoms to manifest. These changes show that the disorder is not just a cultural construct, but a physical response to traumatic experiences. This evidence allows us to detach PTSD from its formal label and declare that it is indeed a universal human experience. Such evidence is more solid than the ongoing effort of scholars who trawl through the historical record of ancient wars looking for descriptions of people's behaviour that sound like what we might expect in PTSD sufferers. By the way, when I started looking into this topic, I found myself wandering down a very deep rabbit hole. The topic appears to be quite controversial, so with anything you hear from me, take it for what it is, amateur research. Feel free to do with it what you will. Okay, on to Wayne Ship's article. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is often thought to have arisen with the advent of mechanised warfare. Think shell shock in the First World War. But the examination of ancient texts offers sufficient evidence that PTSD may be as old as the act of war itself. This raises the question of how might have ancient cultures dealt with PTSD in their soldiers and more importantly, whether any lessons can be drawn from these experiences. Human performance forms a cornerstone of the Army's ongoing research and interest in learning lessons past, present and future from anything that may impact this performance is crucial. Learning from ancient warriors' personal experience of battle and its aftermath, much in the way we learn our strategy from history's great tacticians and philosophers, would help us address the root causes of afflictions such as PTSD. While making an association between a Greek hoplite, a Roman legionary and a modern soldier might seem a long bow to draw, the fact remains that they were members of the profession of arms and they were all warriors. 
It needs to be remembered that despite the passage of several thousand years, the fundamentals of what makes us human have changed little, if at all. This includes being highly reliant on creating filters with which we perceive our surrounding environment. The idea of a Spartan with PTSD might stretch the imagination, particularly since the simple act of reaching adulthood in the ancient world was, in some societies, a better preparation for warfare than any training an average modern soldier can be ethically subjected to prior to battle. Before an ancient soldier ever saw battle, he had outlived 60% of his siblings, witnessed the consequences of swift justice in the form of public executions, and likely had watched ultraviolet entertainment occasioning human deaths. However, the ancient soldier, unlike his modern counterpart, had much on his mind as he went into battle. What would happen if his side lost? A loss might result in the, seat, uh, the state ceasing to exist, being sentenced to the arena, summary execution, or, if he was lucky, simply being sold into slavery. These possibilities must have weighed heavily on the minds of ancient soldiers and long-term effects upon their mental well-being are suggested throughout ancient texts. Inscriptions originating with the Assyrian dynasty in Mesopotamia around 1300 to 609 BC record traumas suffered by soldiers who were called upon to fight every third year during their military service. Herodotus observed that if a zealous and Athenian spear carrier suffered what appeared to be psychological problems following the Marathon Wars in 1490 BC, Appian of Alexandria, uh, somewhere between uh, 95 to 165 AD, described a legion veteran called Cestius Macedonicus, who, when his town was under threat of capture by the emperor to be Octavian, set fire to his house and burned himself within it. Plutarch's Life of Marius speaks of Caius Marius's behaviour, who, when he found himself under severe stress towards the end of his life, suffering from night terrors, harassing dreams, excessive drinking, and flashbacks to previous battles. These examples are just a few instances which seem to demonstrate that PTSD, or culturally similar phenomena, may be as old as warfare itself. If we are to accept that PTSD is not a product of mechanised warfare, and very likely did occur in ancient societies, then the question should be asked, how did ancient cultures deal with individuals who experienced PTSD? While many ancient cultures were able to recognise the significant changes in soldiers following a battle, precise reasons as to what created these changes were elusive. A common explanation was that the occurrence of what um, I describe as PTSD was caused by the actions of malignant ghosts or spirits of those who were killed in battle and now sought vengeance on their killer. While it is unlikely that a vengeful spirit explanation is correct, it does contain the insight that the sickness originated from an inward or unseeable wounding, and these invisible wounds could be just as deadly as any outward wound. Many ancient cultures sought to deal with and create specific rituals to heal the unseeable and drive off the ghosts who caused them. The central purpose of these often culturally unique rituals was to welcome the returning soldier back into society and allow for the release of trauma. The Romans directed the Vistal Virgins to bathe returning soldiers, purging them of the corruption of war. Native Americans performed sweat lodge purifications 
in which the returning warriors would share their stories and sweat out their perceived inner pollution. I'll just take a moment to pause from the article because this reminds me of something Alice Amder wrote in his book Old School. This is what uh, Alice Amder's book says. Many drew incorporated some mikyo practices. However, this must be well understood. Practitioners within martial Ru were not using mikyo spells to become enlightened, and kata were never considered to be meditation in, uh, in action. Instead, mantra were used on several levels, simultaneously A, as primitive folk magic or protective spells, B, to organise the mind. For example, there is a mantra to keep the dead in their graves. On one level, this is exactly what it seems. Afraid of ghosts and spirits, the practitioner enacted a ritual not dissimilar to wearing a cross to keep vampires away. On another level, this is a means of warding off post-traumatic stress disorder, not being haunted by one's deeds, particularly those associated with the taking of life. End quote. And now we'll go back to Mr. Ship's article. While a plethora of writings describing PTSD-like signs in ancient veterans indicate that these rituals did not always work, given the sheer numbers of ancient soldiers who went into battle, and through these rituals it would seem likely that for many, something about them did work. However, it might not have been the welcome back into society alone that worked. What might have even been more important and was often overlooked was that the reintegration process would begin in the aftermath of the battle when the survivors began to walk home. Given that ancient soldiers sometimes fought far from their homeland, when the war was over they had to walk home. The speed of this return was dictated by the pace of the slowest pack animals, and the slow pace, while frustrating, may well have given the soldiers much needed time to reflect upon what they had experienced, grieve for their comrades lost, and perhaps find solace in a shared group experience. The long march back culminated in a ritual cleansing and a return to home, as mentioned earlier. One of the reasons this slow decompression might have aided the efficacy of the return rituals can be seen in its complete opposite in contemporary conflict, where the advent of improved transport has made it possible to move troops quickly and efficiently, perhaps too quickly and too efficiently. While troops might be happy to be back at home far more quickly, there might be a lost opportunity for soldiers to properly process what they have seen and experienced within a like-minded group. Although PTSD is no longer considered the actions of vengeful and angry ghosts, its effects would still be recognisable to an ancient physician or shaman and is still as damaging to the individual. While no absolute solution can be drawn from the experiences of ancient soldiers, there may be sufficient clues to warrant studying what benefits might be gained from delaying the return of groups of individuals from conflicts in a structured manner, thereby lessening the propensity for PTSD to occur. Particularly, if it were possible to enact rituals of our own, rituals which recognise and free returning soldiers from their traumas and assuage their any sense of guilt and culpability, and reinforce that society values them for what they did, we may be better to be able to deal with PTSD. And that's where the article ends. It actually leaves me with more questions than answers, so I wish to pursue some other lines of thought that I alluded to at the beginning of this episode. Now, we know that prior to the term PTSD being coined in the 70s, 
Other terms were used to describe a negative change in behaviour of a soldier due to prolonged stress. Words such as shell shock and combat fatigue were used, but these terms were still in reference to modern soldiers, in other words, about World War I and onwards. We have thousands of years of difference in how combat and violence is perceived between a modern warrior and someone like a Mongol warrior or a Roman soldier. Also, how war was waged was very different. Ancient warfare saw lots of marching around and waiting. Well, there's still a lot of that today, I guess. Uh, but then a few moments of intense battle when you got to grips with the enemy. Modern warfare, like for example World War I, has soldiers under constant mortal danger from aircraft, artillery, snipers, etc. Not for hours at a time like an ancient battle, but for weeks. Whole campaigns of fighting, day after day. I decided to dig deeper into this whole PTSD thing. I found an excellent interpretation of this topic written by a young historian on the Ask Historians Reddit. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to look up this thread. Uh, the person that wrote this thread, or at least answered it at the time, was working on their masters on this very topic of ancient warriors in PTSD. This is what this person has written. One of the biggest criticisms psychologists have towards the official definition of PTSD found in the DSM, or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, is that it's almost entirely based on the observation of American trauma victims and their attendant symptoms. Only recently have researchers conducted enough studies of trauma reactions in foreign cultures to begin a meta-analysis of data that can bring us closer to understanding PTSD from a universal rather than a merocentric point of view. So that thrown out there, let's get back to the Romans. As any cross-cultural psychologist might tell you, the same disorders can have wholly different origins and be expressed in a wholly different way based on an individual's personal and cultural experience. When it comes to Roman soldiers, the violence of warfare was not such a problem as it might be to an American soldier. This was due to many reasons, not the least of which were the sensitization sorry, desensitization. Death was not uncommon or unseen in the ancient world. The reward system of the Roman military, which encouraged excessive, even suicidal violence, and the lack of any inherent moral contradiction in warfare. A modern soldier going to war must, to more or less of an extent, overcome the strictures society has put on him or her, saying, it is wrong to kill. A Roman soldier had much fewer scruples, this is not to say that they were not afraid of death in battle, this is well attested to, but rather that personal guilt or shame generated by the act of killing another human being was highly dependent on the circumstances of the kill. As a Roman soldier, your duty was to kill and rout the enemy. No ifs, ands or buts. As a result, we usually see, sorry, we usually only see instances in which Roman soldiers end up killing their own comrades or even family members as having a particularly traumatic aura about them. For this very reason, almost all the literature which appears to describe PTSD in the Roman military occurs in the context of civil war or mutiny. So then, what was traumatic to a Roman soldier and how did the trauma manifest itself? There is a lot more work to be done, but sources from the 1st century BCE to the 2nd century CE overwhelmingly point to public shame as opposed to personal guilt as the most likely catalyst for post-traumatic behaviour. Roman soldiers would go to great lengths to obtain steam in the eyes of their peers. In the ambition for glory, he might even commit acts of shame as a kind of gamble which, when lost, came at the price of psychological stability. 
The kicker was not the acts themselves, but how these acts affected his social standing. Troops leading a successful mutiny were not so ashamed of the ordeal were a success, but if they mutinied and failed, their public shame would mentally torture them, that is, until they were executed by their superiors. As the Republic became the Principate, and as the Principate became the Dominate, the legions found their own fate intimately bound to the matters of state and politics. This rose the stakes even higher. When the short-lived Emperor Otho had the previously Emperor Galba murdered, and just three months later failed to beat back yet another contender to the throne, he chose to commit suicide. Many of the ordinary soldiers who had betrayed Galba to back Otho followed suit. None of the anguish above necessarily indicates the presence of PTSD, so I'll return here to the psychology. Cross-cultural psychologists have observed that, regardless of cultural background, people who suffer persistent emotional disturbances in the wake of a traumatic event exhibit intrusive memory symptoms in some form. In the US, these are closely related to what we commonly call flashbacks. For the Romans, people experiencing intrusive memories were said to be haunted by ghosts. These individuals show up in historical, philosophical, and even medical texts. Josephus, who was an outsider to Roman culture, also describes this phenomenon in his history of the Great Revolt. Those haunted by ghosts are constantly depicted showing many symptoms which would be familiar to the modern PTSD sufferer. Insomnia, depression, mood swings, being easily startled, frequent eye movement, alertness all day and night, paranoia, avoidance of crowds, suicidal thoughts slash attempts, loss of appetite, shaking or shivering, self-hatred and impulsive violence have all turned up in association with these individuals. Since in almost every case the person experiencing these things had made himself a public, uh, sorry, an object of public shame, the ghosts in question often came in the form of those he had killed or wronged in the past. These would either appear spontaneously to the sufferer or would come in the form of vivid, frightening nightmares. A key component to these experiences, as with modern cases of PTSD, was that the sufferer had no control over his own symptoms. Thoughts or vivid memories would occur unexpectedly and uncontrollably. It is easy to see why the Romans, who were religiously superstitious to begin with, would attribute such things to the foul play of malicious spirits. You are asking specifically about the experience of close quarters combat for ancient soldiers, and there are some interesting tidbits there too. Like I said before, all evidence points to the fact that unlike modern combatants, Roman soldiers were neither repulsed nor disturbed by the violence of combat. Contrary to what we might expect today, violence against others appears to have had a healing effect on soldiers suffering from the impact of shame. After a mutiny under Germanicus had died down, his soldiers violently hacked to death their own ringleaders. Tacticus writes, The troops reveled in the butchery which they took as an act of purification. Tacticus later continues, Even yet the temper of the soldiers remained savage and a sudden desire came over them to advance against the enemy. It would be the expiation of their madness, nor could the ghosts of their companions be appeased till their own impious breasts had been marked with honourable wounds. End quote. Violence was not simply a way to regain honour, but to the Roman soldier was a right of absolution, which could bring peace to those suffering from intrusive memories. Killing or death in battle allowed for the redemption of public shame and the healing of trauma. 
Even suicide, also viewed as an honourable, redemptive reaction to public shame, might be thought of as a sort of healing method for the traumatised Roman soldier. If only the medicine were not so strong. Essentially, what we would call PTSD was much more closely linked to the destruction of social standing. This is something that can be observed in many independent cultures today. I'm sorry, interdependent cultures today. For instance, the importance of maintaining social standing and honour in ancient Rome seems strikingly similar to certain aspects of Japanese culture. All of this needs to be taken with a grain of salt, because at the end of the day, what sources we have on Roman history in general are overwhelmingly generated from the upper classes. This fact unfortunately sets the tone for nearly all inquiries into the Roman world. And that ends the thread. So, do we know if ancient warriors really suffer from PTSD? My answer is, we are not sure. Given that the term is a modern one and the evidence we have to look at is scarce and generally from the viewpoint of a noble, we don't have enough information to make the call one way or another. Quite frankly, when I started diving into this topic, I realised there's so much more to uncover. So this is really just the tip of the iceberg here today. I may approach this topic again. I'll have to take a big breath and think about it because there is a lot to peel back. Thanks for listening today. As usual, if you have any questions or answers concerning this topic, please email me at mushashugyopodcast at gmail.com or contact me on Instagram at mushashugyopodcast. All comments welcome. Now for the quote of the episode. This is by an author called Jessica Cutoff. I hope I got your name right there, Jessica. My past is an armour I cannot take off. No matter how many times you tell me the war is over.